0: Good morning. Good morning. I just need a, a quick clarification. Miss Jean, you're here. He Ken is not actually on hospice, is he? He is not. We've announced that he is not on hospice. He is on home care, but it's not hospice. I just feel like we need to clarify that Uh, I hope that you've had a great week Uh, There's, there you can see gaps of people I mean it's vacation season right but you have got a bunch of them down at Houston doing some really good stuff with smaller kids on the in the inner city Uh, I don't know how many of them but there was a big bus and a and a van and and they're all gonna have a great experience this week and so we're proud of where they are but it hurts us when that happens because you know we got gaps and stuff but we know what they're doing and we're grateful for that And I'm just so glad we have people with a heart for that kind of thing, and uh, and there's plenty for us to be praying about and thinking about for them as as they are gone. So I, I urge you to do that very thing. We're gonna we're gonna be talking a little bit about a, a second challenge here in just a moment. Uh, but I got to tell you some interesting things I learn about the church as I go around, and uh, one of them is I was list, uh, I went to see the Forbises the other day, and and I finally they they helped me resolve a problem. Do you know how to keep squirrels out of your bird feeders? Does anybody? You know, these like, metal uh, poles where you have bird feeders on, and those squirrels that get right on top. What? Grease them. Grease them. He puts Vaseline all over them. And so you go to his house and it's like the, it's like the poles moving. It's just kind of creeping down. And then, and then he says to keep animals out of your tomatoes, you put those red balls for Christmas trees out there. So I want you to know if you go to his house, you'll see slippery, slippery squirrels and you'll see Christmas ornaments on his uh, tomato plants. So I just want you to know that's what you're going to—and you're going to go, yep, yeah, this is the Forbes's house. That's what you're going to think when you get there. But anyway, this is—what a colorful personality that this church has all these people. We are one strange conglomeration of people. Call it Motley crew if you want to. And it's a great place to be, and I'm grateful that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're grateful. I saw several of you visiting, and we're glad you came our way. You are a blessing to us, and we hope before you leave, we're a blessing to you. But for those of you who are members, delighted you're here too. And for those traveling, we miss them. Let's pray. Uh, Not pray. Let's sing. My son is working in the sound booth as part of his internship at Harding, and I see him taking great delight in turning me off when we sing Jesus Loves Me. And he's thinking, how can I do that at home? That's what he's thinking. Uh huh. Accountability time. I hate putting anybody on the spot and making you actually commit to anything, but at the same time, I don't want anybody going away thinking we didn't think it was a big deal. Last week, issued this great challenge to every Valley View member, intentionally, consciously, because you're a kingdom citizen, reach out and bless three different people, at least one of them who's not a Valley View member. How many did this? Raise your hand real high. Great job. In fact, I know some of you did because I was one of them that you blessed, and I'm grateful. If you didn't do it, please do this, and this starts a whole new slate of time. This is a new week, so three more. Don't think too much about this. Don't overwork this to where it's something that's so burdensome you'll never do. This needs to become part of a routine of life. I'm a kingdom citizen, and what kingdom citizens do is bless people. I want to build them up. This is in preparation for our November revival, but it's more than that. It's in preparation for us being a church that's known as a church that blesses, for us being a church that reaches a lost world. That's one of the things we do. So this week, three more people. Two of them can be value members. One of them cannot be. And to help you a little bit on a table out in the foyer is something Mary Lee developed for us. It's a great—this you could really only send to believers, which is fine. But what I want you to do is take one of these. I'll have them with me as people go out. But, but it, it says, thanks for shining the light of Jesus in the world. Uh, you might send this to a person, but you also might just train yourself on it because on the back are two or three things you should consider. Uh, And it's a great way of being able to train your eyes to look for people who are blessings to you that you can in turn bless. That is a great exercise that we are not ingrained with as good as we need to be. So take one of these cards and consider doing that. And and, and then think about other people that you meet. It might be your waiter or waitress today if you go out and eat somewhere. How can I be a kingdom blessing to that person? And this week we're going to add to those habits. I'm going to add another challenge this week. I may give you a week off next week, but I might not. But here's a new challenge for you, but you're going to figure it out. I'm not going to preach it at you. You're going to figure it out with three games we're going to play, okay? Call it a test, but I call it a game. Game number one is a game of 20 questions. And through this, it's not really 20, but that's just kind of the prospect of the game. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to think of the answers. The answers to all these questions are the exact same. But some of these will be more familiar stories to you than others. And I want you to think of the common denominator that unites every one of these answers to these questions. So put on your thinking cap here a little bit. Think about Scripture. Think about these things and and discover for yourself the new habit I'm going to challenge you to. Where was Zacchaeus when he was so convicted by the person of Jesus that he repented? Where was he? Don't answer it out loud. Don't say it out loud. Let your neighbor come up with it on their own, too. Just think about this. Where was he, Zacchaeus, when he was so impressed by the presence of Jesus that he repented? Because Jesus, unlike the people around him, didn't think you only have communion after you have conversion. Jesus thought you get conversion through communion with people. It's a drastically different thing. In what setting did the first believers, after the first gospel sermon, praise God and gain favor with people? What setting were they in that caused that to happen? Think, think. When Matthew, or Levi, was called, he was a tax collector, what was his first act as an apostle? What was the first thing? Immediately, what did he do? Think about that. Where was Jesus when the sinful woman came on the scene? You know, her hair and his feet leading to one of the greatest parables of his ministry. Where was he? What was it about Jesus that frustrated the Pharisees the most and thrilled the common people the most? What was it about him? It was a constant complaint of one and a delight to the other. What exactly happened that led to this tense confrontation between Peter and Paul that led to this clear teaching of how inclusive the gospel is? Where were they? Where was Jesus and what was He doing that caused the two disciples on the road to Emmaus to finally see Him for who He was? What did He do and where was He? And finally... Where was Jesus when he healed the man of dropsy and then led this great discussion on how Christians should throw parties? Think about those questions for a minute. We're going to come back to them in a few minutes. But just think about them. The answers are all the same. A consistent theme. Now we're going to do a fill-in-the-blank game. Number Game number two. Fill-in-the-blank. And this is, this is words Jesus actually said of himself. His favorite phrase to describe himself was son of man the son of man came to what you're not supposed to say it out loud and I heard some of you breaking the rule bad children terrible pupils in here okay son of man came he says it three times just think about that I'm glad you answered actually game number three a riddle maybe some of you like these kinds of things this is a quality that men who are to be elders need to have, but also something each believer is to, sh- to seek to show other believers and even strangers, who might be angels, without grumbling about it. That without grumbling about it is an important thing from First Peter, okay? So if you've got your, you got know, your iPhone, you can look that up or whatever. Quality required of men who are to be elders, but something that each believer is to show and demonstrate toward one another, and even outsiders, without grumbling about it. Now we're going to go back and look at these answers. Okay, that first set of 20 questions, does anybody figure out the common denominator? Eating. Eating in the homes of people. Now, it's so weird that there's so much. You take out of the Gospels, if you absolutely extract from the Gospels everything that happened in the home of somebody where he was eating at their tables and conversing at home, you take all that out, and half the Gospels are gone. It's amazing how much instruction and how much significant events happened as people were living daily lives in the homes of other people, and Jesus just happened to be in a home eating with people at the table, and stuff started coming up. Spiritual discussions started coming up, teachings started coming out, and suddenly some of the most important teachings of the New Testament did not happen in a pulpit or in a formal Bible class or in a synagogue or in a temple. It happened in the homes of people. And you say, So what? Is that significant? Are we only concerned about the instruction, or has Jesus given us a clue? If you want people to hear you, if you want people to learn what you have to say, if you want to get people to figure out kingdom, you need to go into their homes and invite them into your homes and eat around the table and let stuff come up, real life. Let real life come up in the context of homes, and that's where your teaching will happen. I'm wondering if his message and his method were really closely tied together. Is it just a coincidence? That second set of questions. Son of man came, number one, Mark 10 25, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all men, Matthew 10 or Mark 10 45. The one that I heard people whispering, and I knew you'd get this one the Son of man came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19 10. But here's one that no one said, I promise you. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, Luke chapter 7, verse 34. And one author looks at this and says, I wonder, I wonder if this is significant. The first two of these describe his mission of why he came, and the third one described the method he used when he got here. That if I want to go seek and save people, I've got to go to them. And I go to them and I eat at their tables, and that's how they become convicted by the presence and person of Jesus. I'm wondering. Now the riddle is another thing. I want to know, I want to ask you, you can say this out loud. Did anybody figure out one word answer to the riddle? Anybody? If you're at the early service, you can't say it. Hospitality. That's the word. Hospitality. If you want to be an elder, now listen, this is a cue here. we got two people. you got another week to complain about them, right? you got another week to shoot them down if you want to. Right? you got another week. These guys need to be hospitable. That's one of the descriptors of them. It's also one of the most common things that was expected of Christians toward each other. We're supposed to be hospitable, and I said that on purpose how spitable without grumbling or complaining because sometimes it's troublesome to have somebody in your house the idea was you're to be the kind of person that invites people to your home and gets to know people that way the early church was rampant with this plenty one of the governors one of the governors of the holy land area was really stri- or, or uh, in the early roman empire sorry 112 ad was writing to the emperor saying what do i do with these christian people They get together every first day of the week, and they sing praises to Jesus. And then later on in the day, they get together for this common meal, and they just hang out. And that's how that's growing. And we can't control that kind of stuff because it's happening in homes. It's not happening in official, formal places where we can shut them down. It's happening in their homes. That's what they're known for. That's what they're recognized for. And because of that, I just don't know how to stop them. That's right, by design. Can't stop that from happening. Now, you're going to say, what's all this have to do with anything? Have we lost this habit of hospitality? Have we lost this desire to bring people into our homes and and learn about them? You know, it's really hard to get to know people by just seeing them for a few minutes on a pew or even in a foyer or even... Even when we go in that fellowship room with a kitchen we built for that very purpose, you get together with the same people and you surround yourself with the same people, and it's not really producing that kind of connection that you want it to. It's hard to do that in a big, huge group like this. But when you have them in your house for house right? When you have them in your house, you get to know people. You look at the pictures on their wall. I know the objections are all going to start flying. Number one is this. I can see this. I, I, I hear it. I hear it myself. It's hard to get people to agree to come. It's hard to work out schedules for people to actually do this and come into each other's homes. And whether you come into a... It doesn't matter to me whether you go to a home or you have men in your home. It's the same thing. It's hospitality. Either shown or demonstrated... And you work out schedules, and it's hard to do that, and we're very private with each other, and we're running around. We, we, we don't have the time to do this. And I'm wondering if that means we need to just figure out how to make time for this kind of thing. Because this is how the early church grew. And right now, all our growth comes from people church hopping. Really, right? We move from one place to another. You just come from one spot to another spot to another. Oh, yeah, that person went over here, and now they're over here. That's great. We're glad you're here. But listen, there comes a time when the church needs to reach the unchurched, the lost, the people who need us more than just switching places where we go. But how are we going to do that? We've got to change kind of some idea. And, and, and that's where this, this habit comes from. I'm going to urge you and challenge you. It doesn't have to be at your house. You can take them out somewhere, but I'm going to tell you that's second best. It's second best. It's, it'll work, but it's second best. If you really can consider inviting someone over, get to where you can. And whatever the excuses you give for saying, I just can't do that, overcome them somehow. But even if you do take them out, take somebody, take somebody in your circle. Take, I'm going to say, one a week, one a week. I'm going to challenge you. One a week, one time, eat a meal with someone you're not used to eating with. Invite them over and get to know them and have these discussions. Hey, have in the back of your mind or in your pocket somewhere one question you can ask them that has an element of faith in it but you will never have to use it because I find and maybe that's because I'm a preacher so it's a little tainted here but I find that every time I invite somebody over a faith question or spiritual discussion breaks out just naturally just in the realm of conversation with each other. It just happens. And so you'll never have to break that question out, but be ready to do that. And invite somebody over that you work with and just say, hey, let's go out to lunch today. And you intentionally invite them into your world and share your commune, communion of faith with them. This is how Jesus did it. And I think we're making a brave mistake if we say, well, that just happens to be coincidentally the setting. It has nothing to do whatsoever with what he was saying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'll ever have any other kind of setting where you feel comfortable having any kind of discussion with somebody if you can't control the elements very well, like you can in your home. There's all sorts of neat little treats that come along with this. It can be a fellow church member you just don't know well. Go eat with Bill Berry. Let me tell you, Bill Barry, this is interesting. Every couple of weeks I go out there and I eat with him. The guy is just worshipped out there. They act like he's the greatest thing since Elvis. You take, they take him to Mazio's and they say, You don't want to ever go to Mazio's. They hug on him. He never pays anything. Let him take you to Mazio's and nobody will pay, is what's going to happen. But here's what he told me this past week. He said, When he was in sixth grade, he had the most beautiful, most beautiful teacher he'd ever had. He said, I, I was struck on this girl, but she was way too young for me. <laughs> Y'all get that? You're in sixth grade and the teacher's too young for you? That was hilarious. I don't care who you are. That's funny. That kind of stuff you get from it, And you go out there. Listen, you, you, you won't get those stories just by hanging out in the foyer. You won't even get those necessarily in a fellowship meal somewhere. If we're going to get to know each other and if we're going to be able to share anything of any significance with people in the world, it's going to have to be intentionally. It's going to happen to be in settings where these questions can come up and these conversations can be had that often can't happen as you're passing a water cooler at work. It just, it's just not going to have that opportunity. And I know it's difficult. And I know some people are very uncomfortable with it. But it's interesting to me in the Christian faith, do you know why we gather here this morning? We gather here around a table. That's why we're here this morning. We gather around a table to take the Lord's Supper. And do you know where fellowship and the church grew in the first century when they first became members of the church because of the first preaching of the gospel? It happened in homes as they went house to house discussing the apostles' doctrine and eating meals in each other's house. It happens around this table and we go out there and surround each other's table and we have fellowship with one another. That's how the church grew, and it's just so interesting that when God wants to talk about and paint a picture of heaven, he talks about a great big feast. He talks about, I want to go out into highways and byways and ask everybody to come to this wonderful wedding feast that I have planned for you. It's in heaven where God has this table spread for you, and he says, everybody who reserves a spot, I've got your table sitting right here, and the place that's yours, you belong here. You belong at the Creator and the Redeemer's table, and I want you to picture heaven as finally getting there to the place where where you belong and eat of the food the Lord provides for us. That's heaven. It seems to me we need to share some of this in community with each other. One preacher was talking to another preacher. And he's talking about how he, when he'd first moved to this place, he said there was there's a whole group of people who lived in the same common area. People lived in different apartments, and one guy who had a house nearby invited them all over time for a margarita and poker party and he being a preacher said no nah, I can't do that not gonna go there not gonna go there and he kept inviting him he thought it was weird he keeps inviting me and I keep saying no and the guy says well maybe maybe you need to go maybe you need to shock him by going you know the whole idea that Peter says in first Peter chapter 3 is live questionable lives live a shocking life so that people wanna ask why are you so different so the guy decided, and I don't know that I wouldn't be fired for this, but I, he decided, I'm going to go. And you know what they did? They had soft drinks for him. Soft drinks, because they knew he, didn't, he, didn't, he wouldn't drink margaritas with them. So he just goes and he interacts with them. He has his soft drink, and he, he plays the cards, no gambling, and all that stuff. And they just, they just had a great time. And the guy said, what's the difference? He said, before this, no one ever asked me matters of faith. But he says, now, every time I go to one of those, they always ask something of faith, and they ask me. That sounds a lot like the complaint about Jesus. Why are you going around hanging around those people? Because those are the people who need him. Those are the people who need him. So it makes sense to go to them, doesn't it? How in the world when we get together and hang out with each other all the time are we ever going to reach the people we're actually targeting? It doesn't make any sense. How are you going to do it? You're going to have to do something different than we've done in a long time. Can't have college meetings where you show film strips. You're going to have to find ways. Where do people gather? They gather in homes, they gather around to eat, and you invite them into that, or they invite you into that, and you actually accept. And that's where it has to happen. I'm thinking, Jesus has all along given us the clue, go to them in their homes, invite them into yours, and that's where these discussions get to happen. Maybe we as a church should have less church activity and more going-to-people's house activity. Maybe those would produce more change than potlucks would. It makes you wonder. We know how important this is. We build these big buildings where we can all eat together in these big kitchens, and we know how important that is, and it's important and it's valuable. But I also wonder, have we forgotten how the little kitchens in your house work, and inviting people into your house? I already know the objections you have. And I get it, and some people are terribly uncomfortable with that, and you have a personality that says, I could never do that. I respect it. I think eating out is just fine, but even if you can't even do that, I'm not going to say you can't be a Christian this way. I'm going to say, if we're going to be the church that reaches out from this hill, we're going to have to figure out ways to interact with people and have a chance to have conversations, and it's not going to happen in the ways that we normally think, in casual passing. Some are going to say, well, I'm just very private. I don't like inviting people over. I don't want to go to the work to do that, or I just don't feel comfortable with that. And I'm saying to you, to to adopt a Christian outreach mindset will require you to get out of your comfort zone a little. And so it may cause you to say, okay, I'm going to control it. I'll only invite two at a time or whatever. Do whatever. And maybe some of you say, I just never can do that. I get it. But disregard this carefully. If you're going to disregard it very carefully, it cannot be coincidence that hospitality is strongly urged, that Jesus was in homes all the time when these discussions came up, and the early church was known as a house-to-house movement. That cannot be dismissed very easily. There's this great feast that's waiting on us one day being prepared even as we speak. The scripture is described or is offered in Revelation chapter 19. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who accept the invitation. God is planning this great big feast, and He calls it divine heaven. It calls where God's presence is, and He's inviting you to it. And I hope right now that you already have your place reserved. I hope you can anticipate it with such reality and significance that your mouth is watering at the prospect of going. And if it's not, this is a call for you to respond and to choose to reserve you a spot because there's this place where God is the host, And everyone who's in his family has a place reserved for them, and you belong at this table. And if you are a Christian this morning, you belong at this table. And this is where you will finally get to that spot where everything fully satisfies and everything is just exactly the way it should be. That yearning you have about everything, it's just not quite as good as you'd hoped. I know. There's only one thing as good as you hoped, and it's this feast. If your place isn't reserved there, I urge you this morning... Repent. Name the name of Jesus from your lips. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. And hear that all things are ready come to the feast line of that old song we used to sing. If you've not done that, this morning's a great time to do it. If you have done that, and for whatever reason you've kind of left behind, you've left behind the value of having a place for you, this morning's a good time to get your life back in order and as you do I want you to consider this if that's where that communion is finally experienced maybe we in this life should have small pictures of what that looks like by inviting people to ours and going to others share your life with people open up your kingdom life to other people who don't have the blessing of it and let them see what they're missing but that can't happen just by passing them at work or on the street. Invite them into your home. Invite them out to eat somewhere and share life. And I challenge you bless three people this week and consider lunch. Supper whatever with one person it can be a member here It can be a friend it can be a family member but share a communal meal once and then once a month Make sure that that one person you share it with has no connection to value at all once a month That's all we're asking I Challenge you to be a person who set your life up to be like Jesus where you share kingdom in a communion meal with somebody else you need to respond this morning. The invitation stands open. All things are ready. Make sure your place setting is set as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.